Well, friends, I want to welcome to our service today. We give thanks to God for the opportunity to gather together to worship his name. And we're also thankful today that we can join in the praises of God and sing from God's word together. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm number 57 and at verse number 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Here is our call to worship, and it is joined together in the worship of God by singing to his praise from Psalm number 40 in the Scottish Psalter at the beginning of that psalm, Psalm 40 and at verse 1. I waited for the Lord my God, and patiently did bear. Join together in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, we are thankful to you today for this opportunity to worship you. We are called into your presence by your word, and we bless you and we praise you for the ways in which your word reminds us of your steadfast love, of your faithfulness, of your commitment to your people and of your determination to fulfil your own purposes and to save a people for yourself. A God who has created the heavens and the earth. A God who has promised a new heavens and a new earth where all that sin has caused will be removed and where you will dwell with your people and your people with you in the glory that lies beyond when pain and sorrow shall be no more, when eternal rest will be enjoyed, and when the grace of God will become the enjoyment of the glory of God in the presence of your throne forevermore. And so we pray today as we worship you that we may have our hearts uplifted in the knowledge that you are that kind of God and uplifted in the knowledge that our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus, your Son, uplifted in the knowledge that you give to your people, your children, your Holy Spirit in their hearts, uplifted in the knowledge that the power of sin has been broken, uplifted in the knowledge that the new life that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ is a life which is indestructible, a life which survives through the many challenges and difficulties of life and a life which emerges all-powerful and all-conquering on that great day of the final resurrection of the dead, when you will summon your people and call them uh, to be around you and to be forevermore in your presence. We pray that our time of worship together this day might truly not only uplift our hearts, but instruct us and give us light in our minds, give us understanding of our personal need, and give us to know 
in the depths of our beings that we do need the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, that to put our hope in anything else in accordance with your word is indeed foolishness. Help us to know the wisdom of the Bible, the wisdom of the word of God, and help us to value as precious your Son whom you sent into this world, whom you sent into this world to be its Saviour, the Son who gave himself on Calvary's cross, the Son who was raised from the dead by the power of your Spirit, and the Son who is enthroned at your right hand today, reigning for you and on our behalf and securing for us everything that we have need of as we journey on through life. Bless every heart before you here today, we pray. Bless all who are listening to the word of God. Bless every heart in their own personal needs and give it to them to truly appreciate that your unsearchable riches are sufficient for them in all of their needs. So bless us graciously. Bless everyone in your mercy and speak into the deepest corner of every life that people may come from near and from far to put their trust in your name and to discover the great joy of your salvation. And we do pray today for our whole community, for our homes, for our families, for those who are near and for those who are far, for those who are far from the kingdom of God. We do pray you to set your power forth into our community and into all our communities, to bring people alive to yourself, to convict and to convert, and to build up your church as you have promised so to do. Lord, we long for the day when your blessing will descend. We long for the day when the words of the book of Acts, when times of refreshing would come from the Lord. We long for the day when your people would be revived in their faith. We long for the day when all of our people would be filled with a hunger and thirst for you, seeking to know the Christ of God and seeking to find peace with you while it is yet time. Lord, we ask you to come and to do the work that only you can do. You have done it down to the history of your people. You have done it at key points in our history in the past and at this low point in life in so many ways. May you come and raise us up and raise your name up so that you may be glorified across our land, across our nation, and across the world. Bless us in your mercy today and grant that the worship of your name would uh, be accompanied with your power uh, throughout every corner of our land so that people may hear, people may be revived and refreshed, people may be brought alive, and a generation would rise who would serve you, who would shine as bright lights for you in the dark days in which we live. Bless those who are unwell, we pray for your healing hand to be upon them. Bless those who mourn and grieve the loss of loved ones, we continue to bring them before you. May you bind up their hearts. Bless those who may be suffering from uh, the COVID virus today. Bless those who may have been tested positive. Bless those who are anxious because of that. Give recovery, give strength, and uh, keep from serious illness, we do pray. Have mercy, O Lord, our God, upon us during these difficult days. And continue to remember us and uh, continue to help us to look to you as our God. I do pray for your blessing to be upon your word to us as we turn to it together today. Bless it as we read it, as we sing it, and help us in uh, the hearing of it, that we may be glad because we are hearing your voice, and it's the voice of power and of life that comes to us with the authority of your throne, and may we receive it therefore with gladness. Hear us then, we pray, accept as we ask, and go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, boys and girls, before we go on, I want to think today of our Bible story. And our Bible story today comes from the letter of Christ's servant Paul to the church in Rome. And he's writing to this people because they have made a big mistake. And the mistake that they have made is that they think they can get to heaven without believing in Jesus. And that is a big mistake and is a mistake that we cannot afford to do. And the message of Paul that we will read today is about the way in which 
God's help and God's spirit will set them free so that they can get to heaven uh, with God's help. I want us to think about our own hearts today and I want us to think about a clock or a watch. I'm standing looking at the church clock and it's so important that the clock is on the right time. If it doesn't show the right time, then we have real problems. And if your watch or your clock at home doesn't show the right time, then we are really struggling. But if everyone in here has their clocks at the wrong time, then we are really in a bad place because we would miss out everything. We would miss the special events that God has promised. We would miss out everything in life. Life would be a real mess if all our clocks were on the wrong time. And because of the COVID lockdown, the clock here was stuck on the old time until yesterday. The clocks changed, of course, on the 28th of March this year, when the clocks went forward one hour. So every time I stood here, when I looked at the clock, it was one hour behind. And that could mean chaos, because it it could mean that I would start too early. It could mean that I could be here and nobody here but myself. It's important to have the clock at the right time. But when the clock is at the wrong time, we need somebody's help. We need the help of the clocksmith who may come along and make adjustments, fix the mechanism, or maybe even change a battery. If there's something seriously wrong with the clock, we need somebody special who will come and who will fix the clock. If it's simply behind the time, all we need is a good church officer like Ian Henry who will come along and who will fix the clock and put it to the right time. But you see, the story is that our hearts are wrong with God. And we need God, first of all, to help us to put our hearts right And we also need the help of God's servants and God's people to help us along. So I want you today to remember that we can't get to heaven without Jesus. I want you to remember that our hearts are wrong with God. And I want you to remember that you need God's help to give you a new heart. And you also need the help of God's people, of your parents, of friends, of all those around you who will help you when things go wrong. And if we're doing that together, then we'll be on the right time, our hearts will be in tune with God, and we will live life with God and with each other, and we will enjoy all the special events that God has promised us in the Gospel, in the Bible, and we will enjoy life with much greater peace. So remember the clock, remember our hearts, we need a specialist, somebody special, to fix the clock when it's broken, and somebody to guide us on our way through life. Thank you for listening. So now we're going to turn to read God's Word, and we're going to do so from the uh, book of Romans and from chapter 7 and at verse number 21. Romans chapter 7 and at verse number 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through our through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending a son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. This is God's word. I, we trust that he will bless to us our reading from it. Now, as I said earlier with, uh, when addressing the children, when we read this letter to the Romans, they had a real problem with regard to the gospel. They failed to appreciate the passion of the Lord Jesus, the work that he had done. They failed to appreciate their need of him. And they did so because they thought that by keeping the law themselves, that they could be good enough uh, to enter the kingdom of God and to be in the paradise of God simply by their own law-keeping. And Paul goes out of his way to emphasize the truth that there is no one righteous in the world. No one can possibly enter the kingdom of God by keeping the law of God. And as we read down through chapter 3, he makes it clear that the whole world is held accountable to God in verse 19. That is, we are guilty before God. And of course, the answer to the confusion in their minds and to the way in which they had carried on in life apart and without the Lord Jesus, the answer to that is to drive home the message of the importance of the work of the Lord Jesus as the one who's sent forth by God in chapter 3, as the one who is put forward through whom we have peace with God, propitiation in his blood, where we are justified by his grace. In other words, we are given that right standing before God because of the work of the Lord Jesus. So that instead of overestimating their own ability to please God and so excluding the person of the Lord Jesus, Paul is determined that they will realize the importance of the Lord Jesus and exclude completely any thought that they are able to get to heaven, to get to glory, to get into the kingdom of God by themselves. And as we come into this chapter, we are perhaps reaching the the high point of his whole discussion with these people. I want to look at the first uh, four verses in particular today. Uh, And we are looking at the Christian's experience of the grace of God. Uh, And in this chapter, in these verses, we want to think of the freedom of the Spirit. I want to notice, first of all, that we see here a declaration And yes, the declaration is, there is therefore now no condemnation. But the declaration is with regard to their experience, with regard to their lives. And the declaration with regard to their experience is in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. They are obsessed with the law. And because of that obsession with the law, we see the ways in which Paul speaks of the law in three particular ways. And he does so first with regard to to the law of God in chapter 7 and verse 12. The law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. There is the law which is the law of God. Then we read further on in verse 23 of chapter 7, he speaks of the law of sin and death. And then in this verse, he speaks of the law of the spirit of life. So we need to unravel what he is saying with regard to the use of the law and to recognize 
that when we come to see the law in this verse, he is speaking not so much about the law of God, but the law as a principle which regulates life and which comes with its actuating power into our experience to change the way that we live and the way that we are. And for our people who are obsessed with their own law-keeping, that they are going to enter the kingdom of God through that, here is Paul making a declaration that there is this law and this law alone that will give to them that freedom and that access into the kingdom of God. And the law which he speaks of is the law of the spirit of life. It's the law of the Holy Spirit of God that we saw last Lord's Day dwells in the hearts of the people of God who are the, whose bodies are the temple of the Spirit of God. And that Spirit which dwells in them, to which they provide a house, a place to, to live in, that Spirit is the Spirit of life. It's the Spirit that contrasts with and addresses the situation in which they find themselves as those who are dead because the wages of sin is death. And here is the spirit of life that comes to them now, dwells in them to change their whole experience. The life of the spirit, it is the spirit alone that gives life. And he wants them to understand that this powerful force that now works in their lives is so connected with the Lord Jesus that they will value the work of the Spirit in their hearts and they will also value the work of the Lord Jesus because it is the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And by that he means that the Spirit, the life that now dwells in them is the same life that dwells in the Son of God. The Son of God who was raised in power in chapter 1 who was raised by the Spirit of God in verse 11 in this chapter, the same power that raised him up, the power that now dwells in him as the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, raised up, exalted by God, that same power is now the power that dwells in them. The same Spirit, the same life, the same power, the law of the Spirit of life. And today, as the children of God, God wants us to understand that our experience as those who are set apart by God into his kingdom is such that the regulating power in our lives now is not the power of sin, it's not the power of the world, it's the power that resides in, that emerges from, that has its source in the person of Christ, and that comes to dwell in our hearts. And we need to be reminded of that because so often we can feel a sense of being overcome by other powers around us, by the power of the world, by the power of sin, feeling so swamped by everything that we lose sight of this fundamental truth about our existence and experience as those who are the children of God. We need to listen to that. We need to have our minds informed by that, because if we do, it will change how we respond to everything. We will know that whatever other power comes, we know that the power, the life that dwells in us, is the life that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. And what has that life caused in their experience? What is Paul declaring about their experience now? He tells them and tells us that their lives have been completely transformed. And it has been transformed because of the present freedom that they now enjoy. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. They have freedom. They have a new master. They are no longer slaves of 
the old master. They are now slaves, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been set free. And in the Greek understanding of, of freedom, it's more than simply standing at the prison door, which has been unbolted, and standing on the threshold and looking out to my freedom. It's a freedom which speaks of my involvement in the community, of my participation in public life. It's a freedom that involves my belonging to the state around me. And my freedom finds its expression, as we'll see later, it finds its expression in my free speech, in my life lived, in this new environment into which I've entered. Freedom. Let's never lose sight of the fact that our freedom is more than coming out of the prison house. It's entering into a completely new experience. It's one of freedom, and here he wants them to see that it's freedom from their past bondage or captivity. Set you free from the law of sin and death. That's their captivity, and it's worth trying to sum up what Paul is saying because there is a whole intricate discussion in chapter 7 involving this whole process. And if I can sum it up like this, first of all, we have the holy law of God. And the holy law of God comes to the sinful heart. And yes, it condemns the sinful heart, but the holy law of God comes to the sinful heart And instead of changing that heart, the holy law of God stirs up sin in that heart. If we read from verse 8 of the previous chapter down through the following verses, that's what you'll see. The law which is good and holy and perfect, it comes to your heart and my heart when we're still dead in our sins. And instead of helping us out of our sin, it actually stirs up more sin in our hearts because of the sinful hearts that we do have. And because the wage of sin is death, the end result of the law which comes into my sinful heart, stirring up sin, leaves me under the condemnation of death. And I need to understand that in my everyday experience. That without the Spirit of God in my heart, far from saving me, far from bringing me, giving me access into the kingdom of God, the law of God can at most convict, can at most bring guilt, can at most leave me waiting for the destiny of those who are lost without Christ, waiting for eternal death. And today the word of God wants you and I to understand that when we feel convicted of our sin, when we're burdened with the burden of our sin, the burden of the guilt of our sin, the word of God wants us to understand that we have been set free from that. And that's a declaration about who and what we are and what we, our experience is, a declaration that we should embrace and never forget. Not in such a way as to lose sight of the sinfulness of sin, but every time that you do feel guilty and you're weighed down with a sense of the anxiety of that guilt, remember what the gospel means. Remember what your life is. Remember that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And when Jesus started his ministry in the gospel of Luke, he lifted up his Bible and he started reading from Isaiah chapter 61. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them who are bound. And we need to let that message of, of the Lord Jesus himself feed into these words before us today, arrive in the innermost parts of our beings and rejoice today that we are free. And we are free because of the Spirit of God in our hearts. The declaration of freedom. And secondly, there must be a good basis or foundation for this freedom, otherwise it is meaningless. I can tell somebody to enjoy the freedom, but unless I have a basis for saying that, then it's useless. There is, with the declaration, there is a deliverance. And the deliverance we have in verse number three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Here is the reality, first of all, the inability. This is the holy law of God. And God is telling us here that there is something which his law, the expression of his character and of his being, that his law, there is something that it cannot do. And that is worth pausing and thinking about. The law that was given, given expression to at Mount Sinai the law that was written on Adam's heart, the law that is always the expression of of who God is, here it does not have the ability with regard to doing a certain thing. It's disabled. It's hopeless. It provides no hope for us. It simply does not have the ability to achieve this thing. To achieve this freedom, what the law, for God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And what the law can do, as we mentioned earlier on, what the law can do, it can condemn sin. Make me realize how, how wrong sin is. But we saw the way in which the law comes short because of the sin in your heart and in mine, that it leaves us under the condemnation, the guilt of, of death and waiting for that penalty. It's weak by the flesh. The reason that the law is powerless here rests with you and with me. And that emphasizes the situation in which you and I find ourselves without faith in the Lord Jesus that we are so lost and so dead where we are, so powerless to do anything, that not even the law of God itself, of its holiness and authority, cannot change you. And so, it would be entirely foolish today for you to think for one moment that you could try and keep this law of God and do so hoping that the time would come when you achieved enough that you would enter the kingdom of God. It's simply not possible. The law cannot do that for you. And the blame rests with you. And God wants to make that perfectly clear. The law is powerless because of our sinful nature. So what is the answer? It is that God sent his Son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. It brings us right back to the basis of all of our salvation, that the holy God of heaven, 
sent his son into the world, that he became one of us, that he lived in our world, that he understood all of our physical weaknesses, that he was tired, that he slept, that he was weary, that he needed to pray, all of the weaknesses that we carry. He experienced all of these. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And on his journey through the world, he came as the servant of God, the one that Paul describes in Philippians 2, the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, took upon him the form of a servant and was obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And we, we come into the arena, first of all then, of thinking of the marvel of the passion of Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. So that time after time, as we read of a story in the Gospels, as we see him amongst the disciples, as we see him mingling with the crowds, as we see him at weddings and at feasts, wherever we see him, he is so ordinary. We would never be able to say, that is the Son of God in a crowd. He's so ordinary. He's so like us. And so like us in such a way that he came so close to our sin that he bore the burden of our sin. Came so close to our sin that he bore the guilt of our sin. Came so close to the eternal wrath of God that he endured it because of your sin and mine. The marvel that the Son of God became like you and like me. And he was never at any point tainted or spoiled by the sin regarding which he came into this world to save us from it. The marvel of the passion of Jesus. And when I enjoy my freedom, when I grasp the fact of my freedom from, from sin, I come to appreciate that it's all based on the passion of the Son of God. And the passion of the Son of God who came here, that God, God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin. We read at the beginning of the chapter, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no penalty, there is no guilt. They are not going to be found guilty in God's law court anymore because of what God has done for them in Christ. But here, Paul is speaking about condemning sin. And the difference between the law condemning us for our sin and God condemning sin in the flesh is that God is able to execute the final penalty so that the punishment is born and so that the point will come when, when the experience is over because the requirements of the just God have been made. And so when I come to think of the Son of God, at the center of my deliverance, as the person who has gone to Calvary's cross, bearing my sin, he went there for sin, but I need to see today that there are two marvelous aspects to his work on the cross. And Jesus went to the cross as a lamb going to its slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He was the willing, passive victim, as if it were, going to offer himself up to God on our behalf. And so he suffered, he endured the eternal wrath of God until out of the darkness he, he cried out with his, his body beginning to, to break down. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He came to remove the penalty. He experienced it on our behalf. 
But we should never lose sight of the fact that when Jesus was passively suffering the eternal wrath of God, that he was actively in, in his strength as the Son of God, that he was engaged in a conquest, that he was engaged in a conflict, in a battle, and that in that battle he came to be victorious. And I read the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, where he is telling the disciples and those around him what's going to happen. And he says to them, Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. Here is someone who is entering into a conflict, a war zone, where he is engaging with the prince of this world, the god of this world, uh, Satan himself, engaging with him. And in the words of Paul in Colossians 2, disarming him, triumphing over him and them, disarming rulers and authorities, triumphing over them in the cross. And so in the cross of Jesus, in these words of this chapter, the emphasis is on the way in which he broke the power of sin. He removed that power from the devil. Yes, he did so by enduring the penalty. But in the words of the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus is the one who through death destroyed him who has the power of death. That is the devil. The deliverance. The power of sin has been broken because the Lord Jesus has disarmed Satan. He has taken away the foundation of the kingdom of Satan. And in the words of Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15, where he speaks so marvelously about the resurrection. We read in verse 54, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And these words in particular, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's broken the power of sin. He's broken the power of death. And today, we have a freedom that arises out of his victory that is rooted and built upon all that he has done on our behalf. And so my need to hear the declaration of freedom is reinforced and supported by the finished work of the Lord Jesus so that no matter what questions are raised against my freedom, the answer always comes back to what Jesus has done when he triumphed in the cross and cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. And he committed his spirit into the Father. A declaration that's based on a deliverance. And thirdly, that leads to and has, that has the purpose of the design why is God doing this? It is so that in verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I go back to a reference to freedom earlier. That freedom is for living. I can have a person released from jail on the threshold of the prison door, the prison house, the jail, and stepping into life beyond the prison. I can sometimes see that very person back reoffending and back in prison because there's no rule for life, there's, there's no rehabilitation, there's no life lived in community and society. But God is a God of order. As soon as I come out of the prison house, I stand in the kingdom of God and I do so with a life to live 
that's entirely under his power and influence, under his direction, and a life concerning which he gives me the power to live for him. So in that sense, there are no excuses. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The law of God, which God gave to his people in the Old Testament, he gave it to them after bringing them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he then gives them his law, so that they will live as his people from Mount Sinai onwards. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And in Leviticus chapter 11, he reminds them that they should be holy because he is holy. A life that's to be lived, that reflects that they are the covenant children of God. And because the law wasn't able to produce that in their lives. In God's grace and God's salvation, by the Spirit of God, the sinner is now able to do exactly that, the righteous requirement of the law. In other words, it's a life lived that reflects the norms of the kingdom of God. And so the freedom now finds its expression, is evidenced in the life that the person now lives that meets the requirements of God's law. And this is not speaking of, of a perfection which you are now to enjoy, but it speaks of a direction which your life is now going to take, a direction which is shaped by the law of God, being fulfilled in you by the help of the Spirit of God. And there is no doubt that we need to understand this new life that we are going to live as a life that's inspired by the Spirit of God, an obedience which we give by, with the help of the Spirit of God, but nevertheless an obedience which we give and in which we are entirely active. That's why he goes on to say that by the Spirit we are to kill off the deeds of the flesh. We are to be engaged every day to ensure that we are walking this holy life with the Lord. And in doing so, we, we are killing off, winning ourselves off, separating ourselves from everything that belongs to the past life of slavery to sin. It's a new life. It's a new life lived to the glory of God. It's a new life where God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people with the law planted firmly in our hearts. And today, that is the evidence of our freedom in Christ. If my life is not conformed to the word of God, to the grace of the gospel, my claim to have the freedom of the children of God is wiped away. It is, it is meaningless. This outward living that arises from a loving heart is evidence of my freedom. And so today we want to go forward from here. Hearing the declaration of freedom. Let's understand that sort of experience as the children of God. Hearing the message of deliverance through the cross work of the Lord Jesus. And hearing that this is the kind of life we are now going to live. And we are living if we are the children of God. And today, the closing question is, what does your life look like? Does it look like the law of God? Does it look like the Lord Jesus, the way he lived his life? Does it look as if you have your freedom? Or is your claim to freedom meaningless? Because it's unsupported 
by a life that's devoted to God, who in this chapter is your Father in heaven, who spared not his Son, but delivered him up for us all. May God help us to hear that, and may God help us to take to heart the freedom that we have, and help us to live for his glory as we seek to follow him here in this world. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Lord our God, we are thankful to you for your word and for your grace. Help us to understand the work of grace in our hearts from the things that we read of and study from your word. And help us to learn our faith as well as experience our faith so that we may be strong in the grace that there is in Christ Jesus and so that we may be glad in you as the great God of our salvation who sent your Son to set us free and who is now at God's right hand on our behalf waiting until we enter into that final arena of complete freedom where there will be no sign of sin anymore and where we shall enter into the joy of the Lord. So bless us and hear us and accept us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our closing agony praise is Psalm number 37 in the Scottish Psalter. And we're singing at verse number 3. Psalm 37 and at verse number 3. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good. Stand to the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>